Follow the Four Corners Podcast on social media. Like us on Facebook, Four Corners Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Podcast Four Corners. And check us out on Instagram, Four Corners Podcast. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review. I want to take this time to apologize to the television audience for what they're about to see. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Four Corners Podcast. I'm Shad, here with Matt and Brad. Guys, how are you? Uh, doing good, Shad? I've been enjoying watching people get concussed on the new season of The Floor is Lava. <laughs> the Floor oh, is Lava. Oh, oh my god, I'm so glad that you mentioned that. I We're two episodes into the new season. Um, oh, that guy, that, that dad ate shit so hard on that <laughs> one jump. I'm glad you mentioned that because... <laughs> Like the first two episodes, that's all we've seen. But in both ones, we've seen we've there have been times where we've been like, oh my god, what? We were we swore that some dude just like ate ate it. Oh, there like was a bad probably one. Probably custom cells. Yeah, and then um they they had these guys these brothers come back from season one that failed horribly, and we yeah. laughed for five minutes because the one gets all the way to the end. He's the lone survivor. He has a final jump to make. And his feet slip out from under him, and he just falls right in. And we laughed and oh, laughed yes. and yes. laughed. Oh, laughed and laughed and laughed. Does anyone remember laughter? <laughs> I don't like the volcano as much, though, though I do appreciate the ritualistic suicide that they have to commit afterwards. You know, oh when God. when they had the giant volcano, I was excited because I'm like, oh, something new. And it's it is something new, but it also seems like super easy. And my wife and I, my wife and I were commenting like, again, only seen two episodes, but it, it seems like it's much. The rooms are much easier this time. Yeah. Like the, before, it seems like almost no one would make it to the end. Yeah, but I, the the we got pissed off at the first episode of the stand up comics because like the the um the one guy did like all the work and he was clearly the best one and he did not go first on the volcano and we were like, why would you do that? Oh yeah, cool. That that group of stand-up comics, like that guy who was like the best, was like a CrossFit guy. Like he clearly like had some athletic ability. Yeah, I actually thought the karate guys were gonna totally just fail horribly, and they destroyed that that course. They did. All three of them made it, but then they. they uh, lost. This is where I felt like, like is this rigged? <laughs> because <laughs> they did not do well at the volcano at all. It didn't fit uh, their strengths, though. I don't think. The the guy, the people that the team that they were up against was like this kickball team, um, like old longtime friends who like were part of a kickball team, and they actually like worked really well together, uh, and then they won the whole thing. And that's the second episode. So I haven't seen further than that, but that's they actually did really well. I, I I'm enjoying the season. I don't know why it's only like five episodes. I know that pissed us 10. off too, because I want to know because I think um. Isn't I think Orange, um, Chris Statlander, and Chuck are supposed to be on an episode, aren't they? Yes. So. And I did not see them mentioned in the um, the previews. 
No. So I don't know. Maybe it's like they did film their episodes and we have more episodes coming. I don't know. Like they Netflix the is first, kind of weird. The first season had 10 episodes. The second season only has five released so far. I know. And they, yes. made, us, they made us wait two years for five. I was pissed about that. Cause then we, we watched a couple. And we're like, well, I don't want to. I don't want to go through all of them. This is really. Yes, this is like really weird because it's like not a lot of stuff moves the needle for me anymore in terms of like shows because it's like I, i'm i'm so disappointed with a lot of content that comes out nowadays yes but idiots injuring themselves is always good yeah like when i saw my wife and i were like we're flipping through netflix cause we're actually trying to watch um the new season of stranger things mm-hmm. and when we saw like on the previous we're like flipping through netflix to see like what's new like today or this week and we saw like like four lava like new episodes now, and it's like oh my god, we literally were like threw our, I threw my hands up in the air and like yes, because I was waiting for that to to drop. You know what? It, when we whenever we finish the season, I always end up going back and watching um, most extreme elimination because again, idiots hurting themselves repeatedly. Oh my <laughs> god! Since she just mentioned that, um, they are doing some sort of. I think it's already started, maybe, but there's doing some sort of Muppet show that is basically like a ripoff of Most Extreme Elimination Challenge because it's like just people doing weird, like obstacle courses, and I have no idea what it's supposed to be, and I didn't know yeah. it was coming, but I will probably watch the show. <laughs> and they're the horrible like dubbing where they just say like really screwed up stuff the whole time, just. Oh, it cracks me up. It still cracks me up. It, it makes me sad though because it's it predates HD, so it looks like shit. It, it, uh-huh. it makes me sad. I think it's on um, might be on Prime. Okay, most extreme elimination challenge. Yep. You okay, know what? okay. I'm gonna check that real quick. Because it's um, I used to love that show and it holds up really well because again, it's people like the one they have get to eliminated. Why do they have to do like the like the the rollers and just the the horrible ways people people go down on that one. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Uh, looking this up yep. really quickly. There it is. Uh, I guess there's some show called holy moly forever uh and that's like the season four which i had no idea this even existed but it's some extreme mini golf competition but there's like an obstacle course involved with it i don't understand it but i guess this is season four of it and season four is going to include the muppets so i need to watch this oh i need to learn about it too yeah because going back Let's go back really quickly to Netflix. Uh-huh. Um, my wife and I, we kind of, like, take turns on, like, uh, shows. We usually, like, watch uh, a, at least a season of a show or a show if it's a limited uh, run uh, show. And my wife chose uh, Inventing Anna as um, as her pick. You did, have you heard about this, or do you? Yeah, know? I saw the preview of it, and I just I was kind of like, ah, eh, maybe later. I wasn't that interested in it. Uh, it's it's kind of based on a real life, the real life story of Anna Sorokin, um, aka Anna Delvey, who is this Russian-born German, air quotes German heiress, who basically was like con artist, like moved. She was living in the United States and conned people out of like so much money, trying to defraud 
banks and corporations and things like that. And nowadays, like populism is such that it's like, well, you don't feel bad for like her screwing over the banks, but uh, she screwed over like a lot of people. Like she would rip people off. She'd rip it off like hotels. She would do all sorts of like really bad things. And it's a Shonda Rhimes uh, production. Oh God, so that very... makes me not want to even watch it. Oh, it was so heavily Shonda Rhimes too. Uh, and it, it had like almost everyone in terms of like the actors was like from sh- a shot, like previous Shonda Rhimes productions, like, Pretty much almost the entire uh, cast of that show, Scandal, was like Ugh. represented in it, this show. What her her we'll call them Chandra rhyme isms, like really driving nuts of. Well, I'm not creative enough to write people off of the show, so I'll just kill them. Well, there wasn't like death in this because based it on hasn't true... last. Well, yeah, it's not. <laughs> it's based on a true story, essentially. Uh, I'm sure everything was very heavily like dramatized because, like, for example, like. There's a in one of the earlier episodes. There's a character who's supposed to be um, the main character, Anna. It's, it's like her boyfriend, uh, and that is based on. It's he's kind of based on a real guy, but in the show, he's essentially like um, either either Indian or Middle Eastern uh, descent in this show. When the real life guy was like this Asian kid from South Korea, so it's like mm-hmm. there's there's some there's some creative liberties being taken with this, but when I watched it, I was thinking about the show afterwards. We, we just finished it. And I'm like, this is exactly like the issues I have with, uh, with Shonda rhymes. It's like, this is really like the most millennial show possible. And that it's people doing things for incredibly selfish reasons and they're just horrible people to the point of like they're almost sociopathically like horrible That's and why selfish. I don't like a lot of modern TV and yeah. entertainment because and at and at the end at the end it's presented as like well well we still love them and care for them it's like why like at the the literally like the final episode it's like all these people being like but I care about her I don't want her to go to prison I'm like folks she is a bitch like a mean spirited <laughs> bitch to everyone everyone that she deals with because of her own like rampant like pathological insecurities you mean and, um, it's like uh, the end of um wandavision where she horribly tortured those people for months and and then um stupid uh, monica rambo's like they'll never know what you gave up for them it's like yes! fuck you bitch like she's a fucking yes. criminal and should be like locked up forever she's a monster literally yeah. a monster Doing horrible things. It's the, I mean, obviously, in a in a Delby slash Sorkin didn't have his real didn't have superpowers, but I mean, it's the same concept. It's like doing terrible things to people, and at the end, it's like, oh, they don't know, they don't know what you've gone through. Like, I don't want you to go to prison. It's like she, folks, she defrauded people like over and over and over again. It, it really showed like her screwing over like friends of hers, mm-hmm. like to the tune of like tens of thousands of dollars, and. They're, the friends are like presenting us like, oh, they're like, look at these like mean-spirited people for wanting to get their money back. And it's like, what? No, no, screw you. And it's like, this is the most millennial show where you're, you're a terrible person. You're basically a sociopath of people. And yet you're still supposed to be like, oh, but you're deserving of love and we forgive you for everything. I, and like, I no, think it's also no. those like uber-privileged people that have never had yes. to like worry about money or like real-life consequences to anything because they've lived in a bubble their whole life. I think yes. that's where that stuff comes out of, too. 
Oh my god, the one division thing. I just remember, like it now. Like now, I'm heated again. It's like that was everything. I I generally like that show. Yeah. Until that last episode where it's like they don't know your pain. It's like what? Because she had to let go of the two imaginary children that she created with her magic powers. Like oh my god, she lost her children. It's like she created. She lost like a fiction. It's like she had a dream. And it's like you wake up from a dream where you have like an awesome life, and you wake up. It's like oh, I'm sorry that dream ended. It's like yeah, but it was a dream. Like yeah. enough. Like or I'm like, not gonna have was... like existential like dread for what happened. Come on. Why was like the the guy from Hammer like portrayed as a villain? I still don't get that. No, it... I don't want to get into a ramp. That's like terrible. Well, I, I, I was gonna but, say too late on that. Yeah. But like, there's this weird like, and you see that in like some rom coms like dating back where it's like, well, no, that's not really cute or anything. That's like a horribly abusive situation. Yeah. yeah, but stuff you see in rom coms is the kind of stuff that gets you locked up. Or like Twilight, there, there's a really great article I think someone wrote around when those books were really popular about all the ways it was like a super abusive like relationship. Yep. So, yep. yep. All right. So, did we even get to our shoutouts yet? Um, I don't <laughs> think we did. We'll get our shout-outs taken care of it now. Um, Collar and Elbow, the wrestling brand, CollarAndElbowBrand.com. Use the promo code 4CornersPodcast. That is the number four, capital C and Corners, capital P and Podcast. Save 10% off your order. Our other shout-out goes to Matt. That would be Orlando Cologne. I don't have a witty joke. Um, I would just say this I, about the Collar and Elbow. Like, I, I don't know what's going on with them, but the website, they just like they, – I just got an email – yeah, so I'm on the mailing list. They're like, "Oh, new shirt," and I go, and it's like the same design they had like for like two, three years. Two, three years. Yeah. I'm like, what's going on with you guys? Like, I think they got bought out, and they're cycling through some stuff they already have. Yeah. Um. So I don't know. I have not been in touch. Uh, Brad and I had a conversation with the guy who who operated it in the past, and he told us about the the buyout coming, but I don't know. Um. I don't know where things are, and I don't even know if the way I had to get in contact with them would still work. But mm. we'll uh, we'll burn that bridge when we get to it. Um, so we're finally going to follow through on our promise. We're going to be covering Nitro Era Cruiserweights. Honestly, one of my favorite things from wrestling, um, just because it was so much fun to watch. And part of what really put me on the WCW side in the Monday Night Wars. It's really what made them stand out, like something that WWF could never emulate, even though they tried to and they had a couple of good workers. But they, you know, that light heavyweight division lasted, what, like three months? Yeah. Who was Aguila, by the way? Oh, that's S.A. Rios. That was S.A. Rios. Okay. Because that was was their attempt at having a popular luchador. And it's like, um... Guys, you're really not hitting it, but there it, it was uh, Aguila and Taka Mishinoku and Brian Christopher and Scott Taylor. Scott Taylor. That was really about it, wasn't it? Uh, they had pan- like um, he wrestled in Chikara years later. There was a guy that had like a panther mask gimmick, but Pantera. <clears throat> yeah, it might have been Pantera. I Old think. Pantera. And there were a couple other guys, but they never put them on TV enough, like, to... Yeah, they didn't really, um... Yeah. Didn't really close. So, 
the format for tonight is Brad volunteered to make a list of cruiserweights from the Nitro era with a ranking system. And then Matt and I are going to have our responses to it and uh, what adjustments we would make or other people we like who are not on the list. But I believe Brad did have a list of people who did not qualify as cruiserweights, even if they did stuff with the cruiserweights, right? Yeah, so like LaParka is not on there. Um, Lismark Jr. is not on there because he weighs like 240 pounds. Um, Disco Inferno is out. Um, like <laughs> Yuji Nagata, I don't think, did stuff with the cruiserweights, but he would not qualify. Um, there was someone else I feel like I said. Alex Wright? Alex Wright might meet the weight qualifications because he was pretty skinny. I mean, Disco, they ran the angle about him cutting weight to make it. Yeah. But that was not where he really spent his time. No, and it, it's a bit of a stretch in Wrestling Universe to say he qualifies as a cruiserweight because he was a bigger guy. Yeah. But, so, Brad, I would like to hear what uh, what your list is. Okay, so we're going to go at number 10. We have Chavo Guerrero Jr., Okay. Um, at number nine. Chavito. Yeah, Chavito. Chavito. Um, actually, I'm gonna go from the top. I'm gonna switch this up. Okay, so at number one we have Eddie Guerrero. He would be my mm-hmm. top cruiserweight of all time for them. Number two would be Rey Mysterio Jr. Number okay. three would be Psychosis. Okay. Four would be Dean Malenko. The Stinko mm-hmm. Malenko is is he? Stinko Malenko. <laughs> yeah. Um, number. Five would be Ultimo Dragon. Okay. Um, I did not include um, Liger because he did not wrestle enough. Right. That's fair. Fair. Um, number six would be Hoovy. Okay. The Juice. Yeah. Number seven would be Chris Jericho. All right. Um, I'm not a big fan of him, but I put Billy Kidman at eight. Okay. I'm trying to remember who nine would be. Shane Helms. Oh, yeah, Shane Helms. Shane Helms. Yep. And then um, 10 would be Chavo Guerrero Jr. Then honorable mentions would be like um, Kaz Hayashi, um, like Lash LaRue, those secondary guys that were in there. Probably um, like Cyclope and Damien and Silver King and those guys. So I have. Yeah. I have a couple of guys that I would put in the honorable mentions because they did good work in the did in the division, but they were not around as long. Be- and the reason I say these guys is because they held the cruiserweight tag titles, but primetime Elix Skipper and Kid Romeo. Mm. And part of what makes them stand out for me is that they had blatant ripoffs of popular contemporary songs as their entrance music. Well, Elix Skipper had the cruiserweight belt. He did. Um, Elix Skipper had the, uh, had the, the DMX ripoff and then kid Romeo had a, uh, I'm going to forget his name. Cup of life. Uh, Oh gosh, now I can't remember. I can see his face, but I can't put my finger on his name. Does Kiwi make your list? (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, I did not have uh, Kiwi or Prince Iakea on my list. Oh, Iakea mm. sucked. I would smack you if you had. No, I had did him not. Brad Armstrong would make my honorable mentions, um, even though he was kind of in and out of that division. I don't know if they really used him much as a cruiserweight when it when it hit. Um, Hector Garza would probably be in there. Yeah, Hector Garza. By the way, Kid Romeo had the Ricky Martin ripoff oh, yeah, as that's his right. theme music. Mm. That's what I was trying to... For some reason, I could not summon Ricky Martin's name. Uh, Hector Guerrero would be in there, even though he was kind of just a jobber. Yeah, I would not have put Hector on because he wasn't around a lot, and when he was around, he didn't win. Yeah, but I think he won on the weekend shows, maybe a key. Okay, that's and fair. Then, like Lenny Lane and Lodi, no, not really. I think you would. I I know a lot of people are gonna say, well, Blitzkrieg was really good, but we kind of looked into that. He was only there for like nine months, and he really only won a couple of matches, despite he having was, some good matches. He was fantastic, though. Like, yeah. I wish that that I, dude like, yeah, like lasted longer. He was like in the business like five years, maybe. That's like from the start of his a career to the end. And yeah, that that was that's obviously that's like a much smaller window, and I don't even think he like had that many matches. But he was he was like amazing. What was it you said was his record, his WCW record, Brad? What was it, like 6 and 91 or something? No, it was like <laughs> 6 and like 40 or something. I really liked watching Blitzkrieg. That was, I watching Blitzkrieg was always an enjoyable experience for me. And win, lose, or whatever. But, um, you know, yes, Kat. Um, yeah, yeah, Pips is, is vocalizing her love of Blitzkrieg as well. Uh, I think he went on to be like a, a programmer or something, but yeah, I always did like uh, I always did like Blitzkrieg. No, I so. think I think unquestionably at the top, I think you could interchange them, but Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio are obviously the tops of the division, no questions yeah. asked. Um, yeah, I think the question is who you'd put number one and two on that. I think Eddie was better in this era, even though Rey was better in WWE and like really was a great worker in the two thousands. He kind of had some ups and downs in WCW. I think the reason I would see the argument for Eddie because Ray got hurt for some big stretches. He got some knee issues that took him out. Eddie had a car crash too though. He did. He did. And I'm not arguing that case. He had one instance of going out and Ray had more than one. He had two or three. And Filthy Animals Ray wasn't really great. Well, he had he slowed his stuff down a bit, and he didn't have to do as much. But it was still Ray Jr. Yeah, and um, like they obviously have the best match in the division, which is the Halloween Havoc '97 Masters Title match, mm-hmm. which was just really good. But I think I think especially like when you're talking about the Luchadors coming in, like Eddie had a very Americanized style, and he adapted really well. Because there's even yes. stuff that is really good that he did that people don't even remember, like the um, the sold-out ladder match with Six-Pac that's, like, mm-hmm. underratedly good. Mm-hmm. Here, Here's an example of how good Eddie Guerrero was at this time. Eddie Guerrero came up with a way to take the diamond cutter, and Paige was like, bro, are you sure? Because I'm not going to be able to flip you for this. He said, no, no, it'll work. So it had... DDP lift him up like he was going to do an outsider's edge. And then Eddie 
flipped and rotated in the drop into a diamond cutter. And Paige always said that was all Eddie. I didn't have anything to do with it. Like, just that one spot. That's so cool. And he had and, great, I liked his music after he turned heel, too. Mm-hmm. And he just, I don't know, because he, he didn't do it later, but he had shorter hair. But, like, just how greasy he, like, came out with his hair and stuff, like, when he, during that heel turn. Mm-hmm. He had the undercut mullet with, like, the sides of his head shaved, and it just looked awful. <laughs> it was... He looked like a dirtbag, which is yes. exactly what he was going for. And his, like, yes. unamused, like, non-passionate, like, entrance to the ring all the time. Mm-hmm. He just looked annoyed that there were fans there at all. And but I, he was so good. I loved when he was teaming with Jeff Jarrett, and like Jeff Jarrett would put him in the figure four, and Eddie would frog splash them. Oh, mm-hmm. I forgot all about that. Was that in the like Jarrett splitting from the Horseman arc? Yes, because that was okay. like because he helped Jarrett win the title because he came out and splashed okay. Malenko and turned heel, and then they teamed for like. I think just for like a month. Yeah, but, I think um, you're right. And then when he um, when he lost that title match to Jericho and he put the belt on his face and frog splashed him. Mm-hmm. Oh, and Eddie his frog did... splash is better than RVD's. I don't know. They're both really good. Eddie's looks like it hurts more than rvd's rvd's is like cooler because he gets more ups and hangs longer but eddie's had better form and it looked like it hurt worse i will agree with you in the contemporaries time period because at that time yes but when rvd started doing the five star when he was in wwe he changed up how he did it and i thought it looked super impactful because he would hit it he would hit it and then roll over and grab his ribs like oh god that hurt yeah and then he roll over for the pin i i appreciate rvd like especially if he went through a table or did something crazy he would sell that it hurt really bad yeah um eddie's was more like a splash rvd's was more of a big production so i liked them both now an interesting point that yeah on this list for me anyway that jumps out Oh, wait, wait a minute. No, well, I believe Brad had psychosis in the third slot. Was that? I think that's right. And I I'm mean, in this weird place with psychosis. Is this, is this listing supposed to be like in order of greatness? Well, he had the list set out in an order. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess that's, it's just different for me because usually when i do a list i don't necessarily rank them it's like this is like the, the tops i don't usually do so right. i'm not hating on that if that's your style yeah. i just like all right 10 best i would just throw out names and i'm not I, I when i would later on i would get in down to like who i think is the best of that list but mm-hmm. uh yeah let's go with psychosis number three like in and let's not get hung up on like whether he was like the best he was actually number three right. <laughs> on the guys on the list i liked psychosis a lot psychosis always to me seemed to have very unique presentation he did the a great top rope flying leg drop that hurt me to see every time because it looked like he landed straight on his tailbone Mm, yeah but to me psychosis seemed like the guy they had 
who was always able to put on a good match with the top guy, but it didn't seem to me like he went over a lot. Yeah, it seemed like he was almost like, I don't want to say underappreciated, but kind of. Because, like, he was a great was a great worker. Mm-hmm. Um, so they probably should have done more with him. I know he had some, like, some good matches with Ray Mysterio, uh, sure. Mm-hmm. But that's a dude that it's like he, they could have done a little more with him than they did. Yeah, I mean, he. I say that, and he won the the cruiserweight championship like twice. But even even then, I don't feel like it was something that was. One was a phantom switch that he could job it to someone. Yeah, yeah, that's that's my thought was, psychosis winning the title, always seemed transitional to me. Yeah, and I would have appreciated him having more of a spotlight because he always seemed right next. To the top of the division, but not really there. Mm-hmm. So I would have appreciated more. I, I remember him having Sonny Ono as a manager. That's when he kind of got a bit of a push. Yeah. Well, he, at that time, his ring gear was odd because it was armory, like body armor on the on the front, plates on the front. But psychosis was. What's the phrase? I think that he was too good at putting other cruisers over for them to get behind. Mm. And that's a shame because he had a great leg, top rope leg drop. Yeah, that's that's what I said a minute ago. It it hurt me to watch. Yeah, (laughs) he landed just right dead on his tailbone. But he's a like, especially if you look at like his Lucha stuff or him and Ray and other promotions like he is. He was criminally underutilized in WCW. Yeah. 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 So the next on the list that you had here, Brad, you had Malenko and Ultimo Dragon here. And was this supposed to be particular order or just like Eddie and Ray are at the top and the rest of them are on the list? So I I think Ultimo Dragon is – I don't mean this – Ironically, he's ultimately, I think, a better worker than Dean Malenko. But as far as their usage in WCW, I think Dean Malenko goes higher on the list because he had higher highs than Ultimo mm. did. In WCW, I would agree with that. Dean Malenko was fantastic, and he yeah. was incredibly like smooth with a lot of his stuff. But like Ultimo Dragon or Ultimo Dragoon or whatever, like they would get fancy with pronouncing his name or ultimate or they, dragon yeah they'd screw it up like, be like ultimate dragon yeah i i would agree that overall like he's i would argue that he's a better worker what are what are the very first in like my first year of being a wrestling fan there i remember like i've talked about the show before but the the wcw new japan uh super show three <laughs> there was a match there between uh, Jushin Thunder Liger and Ultimo Dragon for the New Japan Light Heavyweight uh, title, and I would need to go back and watch it. It compared to today, mm-hmm. it probably isn't like that special of a of a match. But back in the day, like I saw it, like the stuff they were doing, like the submission work and the high flying stuff. I was like blown away. I'm like, what the hell is this match? Like, it's fantastic. Right. Uh, and he's still like wrestling and he's still good. So it's like, 
overall, I would say like he's. I would give the the, the nod to Elton One Dragon, but I I would agree with you. Like in WCW, I think Dean Malenko had a much uh, overall better career in WCW. And and Ultimo is impressive because they botched that elbow surgery on him too, and he came back from from that. Yeah. But he also um he did have probably one of the best cruiserweight division matches though. That World War Three match with Ray is really good. Mm. Yeah. 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 Ultimo, one of the things I really liked about him, he, first of all, I at the time, more more then than now, really, but you know he carried a little bit of martial arts flair into his gimmick, and he made it look better than a lot of people did. But Ultimo having so many ways to get into the Dragon Sleeper, I really appreciated because. It was something that you didn't see other people in the division do. Malenko is the only other person that comes to mind that had a submission finish. But it was limited on how you could get people into the Cloverleaf, as opposed to Ultimo Dragon, who could snatch you with it from a whole bunch of different ways. Or, I or I that, still um, love those kinds. He won it back. The TV title he won back from Regal because he like did a float over and got him in it like in the the corner, didn't he? I know he won the cruiserweight title off of Eddie when Eddie went for a vertical su- suplex, or maybe it was the brainbuster Eddie liked, and he floated buster. it over. He floated it over into that dragon sleeper. Um, but I don't remember how he took it off of Regal. It was on Nitro. I remember watching it. I just and I can like picture it in my head, but I don't just know how to describe it. Right. It's tough to put a finger on because there were really a lot of great cruiserweight matches on Nitro. And I mean, Malenko's high is obviously the Jericho feud. Mm-hmm. I would also say his Horseman run is up there too. You know, I didn't really like him much as a horseman. He didn't exactly fit, in my opinion. Like, he was good as, like, the technical workhorse. Um, but I, I feel like that iteration, like, I, I do, I did like him in the horseman. I, I didn't think he was fine. I didn't have any issues with that. But I, it just, he didn't seem like he fit as well. Mongo was a better horseman. Like, not a worker, but he was a better, like, actual horseman. Well, that gets like a separate like side argument about what, like how should the the horseman be structured? And of course, it's like Flair is obviously like, you know, the head, and mm-hmm. then it's like who do you have from there? Like it was always Arn, but eventually Arn obviously got injured and had to essentially retire. Yeah. So, who do you have as like the enforcer? You need like an enforcer type. And at the time, like I do think like Benoit fit like the enforcer type role, mm-hmm. but you, as a as like a third or fourth guy, you need a guy who's like bigger and more of like a a brute and yeah. i do think mongo fit that 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 well yeah. so then it's like who's the fourth guy i guess like in one one of the earlier iterations of the four horsemen you could you could have you know flair as the champ the head of it you could have arn as like the enforcer Oli was basically like the uh you know the the brute the muscle and then maybe like tully is like the technical guy so in that sense, like you could you could have Dean in that technical role 
but I didn't think it was like a perfect fit, but I did like him in the horseman. Like I liked him. And his, him tagging with Benoit as the horseman for the tag title program was really good. Even if looking back on it, there were some spots that happened as part of that, that I not only shudder at the impact, but kind of cringe at knowing what that led to. That was like Mm. a mini, um, uh, work revival for Barry Windham. Mm-hmm. Yes, his, his tag team with Kurt Henning was really underrated in that. that <laughs> yes, run. it was. Also, yes, I looked up that Regal Dragon match and pretty much Dragon like kicked the shit out of him and just gra- took his back when he went down. Oh, that must have been in Regal's not in a good place. We've got to get the belt off of him. No, he actually looked in good shape for that. So I don't know. Right. So uh, that's hitting on on both. Malenko and Dragon, which by your list, Brad, takes us to a guy who has had quite a turbulent post-WCW career uh, with Hooventude. Uh, one, you know, probably the only case I would say in, in Bischoff's crusade to remove masks from people where it was probably a beneficial move. Yeah, I would say so. Probably the only benefit. Yeah, because Hoovy taking the mask off, handsome guy, so it it only enhanced his appeal, and you know, got a push out of it after that, and had a fantastic series of matches with Kidman uh, for the cruiserweight belt. Was pretty good. Um. I think that Hoovy and Ray were too similar to each other to hit the same heights that they did with other people. He made that random TNA like tournament appearance and had like that great match with Teddy Hart and like I think Chris Saban. Um, I didn't think I saw those. That was like 2003. That's like still weekly pay per view era. Okay. And um, then he had a WWF run where he rode a lawnmower. Yeah, the the Mexicals. I think the lawnmowers were his idea. I don't remember, though. <laughs> I'm not real sure. I think that was the case, yes. Yeah, because I'm wondering, wow. probably because he knew that would get them hired. Because it was him, Psychosis, and Super Crazy, wasn't it? I don't think it was. Yeah, yeah, I think it was Super Crazy, now that you mention it. For some reason in my head, you said Super Crazy, and I conflated him with Super Kello. Uh, I don't know why, but I did. And Psychosis but, didn't have the mask in because no. Vince hates masks. He, I believe Psychosis lost a mask versus hair match against Kidman. Yeah, he did. But he put the mask back on in like Mexico and like when, oh, okay. when Impact used him the first couple weeks of like their promotion existence, he didn't have it on, but they brought him back for some random spots. He put the mask back on. Interesting. I was going to say, I wonder how you get around that with Lucha tradition, but uh, Lucha, that's probably so. Lucha, it's watered down, and Lucha guys put their masks back on all the time. Oh, do they really? Yeah, because it's, okay. you know, there's more money to be had. The, the traditions have kind of been watered down the last 15 years. Okay. I wasn't sure. It was one of those, uh... well, I may have bought the hype too much back in the day for Mike Tanay. Who, incidentally, was 
honestly a real treasure to have on commentary for a lot of the cruiserweight stuff because he knew what everything was surface level lucha libre like pays a lot of lip service to that stuff but then you realize it's a business and they're trying to make money so yeah like i might have lost my mask in cml cmll but oh hey this indie like wants to pay me to have the mask on like i'm gonna put the mask on mm-hmm like, that's just how it goes. I mean, it's, it's business. So, Hoovy was interesting because he had a style that was very frenetic and fast-paced, but not as, I'm going to say, crisp as Ray's was. So, he didn't have quite the same charisma in the ring that Ray did. But on the other hand, when Hoovy was out there just desperately trying to, to get a win, you saw and you felt it. Uh, I remember a match that I think it was on Nitro. It was Hoovy versus Kidman in that stretch where they were scrambling back and forth. Kidman had just left the flock, I think. No, I'm wrong. Kidman was still in the flock, and Hoovy retained, but they had two or three really good matches. And so he hit the Hoovy driver, he hit the 450, couldn't put him away, and all this sort of stuff. And every time you saw him do that, like he hits the Hoovy driver, and he reaches out, and he snatches one leg for the pin, and you see his face is all scrunched up, and he's got his mouth open, and he's screaming, because he's like, no, stay down, and you just see the desperation on his face of trying to keep Kidman from kicking out. It was a lot of fun to watch. So what's, so next up we have Chris Jericho, who probably had the most personality mm-hmm. and really developed his, um, his character in the cruiserweight division. And I did have a nitro is Jericho, uh, shirt that I, I think I still have that somewhere. <laughs> paid for the cost of the stamp of the royalty they sent him well i liked um i liked about him and guys don't do that enough like when he was trophy collecting yeah like you know he would come out and he had hoovy's mask and he would like have iakea's like skirt and stuff yeah he would actually carry the trophies around with him yeah i like that it, it definitely made the the trophy gimmick more than just something to do. It, yeah. it was it was a real trophy collector gimmick. And he was also the man of a thousand and one holds. Thousand and four. Oh, a thousand and four. He had four more than Stinko Malink. Okay. <laughs> that feud was fascinating because he did pretty much everything. Can you imagine how they pitched that to Dean Malenko? They're like, you know, you're going to lose to Jericho. Then you get to go home for a couple of months and just relax, and we'll have Chris do all the work, and then you can come back and get the big win. It's like Malenko must have been like, am I dreaming? This is not something you ever get an offer for. Hey, it worked. It, it worked huge. Uh, you, do you remember his some of the his introductions for the luchadors coming into the uh, cruiserweight number one contenders battle royal? I just watched that a couple years ago and I don't remember. 
I only remember a couple. I remember Silver King in 10,000 more miles. He'd be upgraded to Gold King, <laughs> <laughs> which is a great joke. And Cyclope, who doesn't know that Halloween's already gone past. I think that was it. But that whole, if you can find a compilation of the Chris Jericho, Dean Malenko feud, you absolutely should. And then Jericho's lion tamer in this time period was vicious. I did get annoyed because they had, they had cruiserweights in there that were fakes. I mean, uh, luchadors in there that were fakes and you could tell they were fakes. How so? Uh, I don't remember because the, they only made like one appearance in there. They had like super simple names. I'd have to look it up. Mm, okay. I, I could not rem. I, I don't remember everybody who was on it, but um, I do remember Jericho's lion tamer just looks so vicious because he's working with smaller guys who are real flexible. So it was not a Boston crab. It was very much its own thing where you're basically being balanced on your head and he's got his knee in your ear to twist you with it. It's like, that is a vicious hold. Yeah, because it kind of started out... He he had a missile drop kick for a long time and then that just kind of turned... And then that kind of just started as like a Boston Crab and it slowly turned into the Lion Tamer that we know Mm -hmm. it as. Yeah, because there's a huge difference between the Lion Tamer and the Walls of Jericho. Yeah. And a huge difference. All right. Um, find Slambury to, to find some of the, the guys. Some of the names? Yeah. I'm sorry, I've been talking a lot. I need to be quiet a second and let you guys say something. No, it's okay. I'm I'm fighting sleep right now, so. Mm. Matt, anything you want to? We haven't gone late like this in a while. We're double recording, yeah, folks, and we haven't we are done double that. Recording. And we haven't done that yeah. probably since Christmas, if I had to guess. It, it's yeah. hard to keep the energy level up sometimes, but... Uh... Um, I loved Chris Jericho, but I love Chris Jericho, like, even now. Mm-hmm. I did feel like he, when he turned heels, when he finally actually started to a personality and... You could see like how good he was, but yeah. Um, in terms of his work rate, I think it's like once he, sadly to say, like once he like left the w, WCW, like that's when his I felt his work rate like really improved a lot. Because really interesting, he, he kind of like fits more like the. Uh, I don't like the his whole gimmick nowadays. Like I'm a sports entertainer. It's like yeah, but like once he went into sports entertainment, like I feel like that's when he really blossomed. But okay, um, it was El Grio who was the real Cyclope under a different mask, so that Dean Malenko could be. Oh, okay. Outfit, but he could still work. Yeah. Gotcha. El Grio. I, I wonder what that Marty means. I was a cruiserweight. Oh, that's right. I oh, remember him like trying to... Like, uh... Really quickly, right? Like, yeah. Sequel play was like Halloween. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like... Wasn't... Um, let me look this up really quickly, but I believe... That Jimmy Del Rey actually had a brief stint as uh, Jimmy Graffiti. Yeah, he did. He, really? He had a career-ending injury at the beginning of like late '96, early '97. Oh, really? Yeah, like some awful knee injury. I remember because I rewatched some of that era, and he was on a couple of worldwides. I, sh- I actually think he beat Kidman on a worldwide that I watched. 
Hmm. All I know is like he was unrecognizable. I, I didn't know like that was the same dude until no, after he basically retired. Let's see, Marty Janetti. Oh yeah, this is real short. He only lasted seven months. So let's look here. <laughs> He probably got he probably got like over fire because for being Marty. Oh wow, he did a he did um he did an ECW show before he came into WCW. It was Al Snow and Roadkill beat Marty Jannetty and the Vampire Warrior. Okay, so um he debuts on January twelfth, so he beats Black Cat, then he loses to Chris Benoit, then he loses uh-huh. to Dean Malenko, then he loses to Raven, then he beats Frankie Lancaster. Then he loses to Raven. Then he beats William Worthy. He loses to Scott Steiner. Beats Lenny Lane. Loses to Brian Adams. Loses to Chris Jericho in a cruiserweight title match. He beats Horseshoe. He beats Gary Horowitz. <laughs> Horseshoe. Wow. Vincent, Horseshoe, man. Loses to Saturn. Beats Barry Horowitz. Loses to Conan three times in a row. He's in that um, cruiserweight battle royal. He beats Lenny Lane. He beats Riggs twice. He teams with Chris Adams in a losing effort to Hugh Morris and the Barbarian. He loses to Yuji Nagata three times. He beats Rick Fuller. Wow, I, I, that I would have thought Rick Fuller would have had a chance there. And then he loses to Conan before he leaves in at the end of August. Hmm. I remember his match against Jericho. I do too, uh, actually. Because he, he went for the rocker dropper, and Jericho stood up and snatched the leg for the lion tamer. Well, the I remember he, he, like, cut his hair, like, two months into the run and, like, totally, like, lost any identity because of it. Yeah, because people were... It's like, are you sure that's Marty Jannetty? Yeah. Oh, he came in, like, almost exactly when Rick Martell did, and he did not have the same impact that Rick Martell had. I really, really wish that Rick Martell could have worked out better. Well, uh, he got hurt. Well, Booker T yeah. and um, you know, took care of him. Yeah, Booker did the he instead of doing the hip toss out of the corner, Booker took an extra step and threw him, and that hooked his leg on the rope and tore his knee up. It was a shame too, because he was like really. I thought that his his run there was really good, but that mm-hmm. that was basically it for him. Yeah, for yeah. Jimmy uh, Jimmy Del Rey's last match was losing to Chris Jericho as Jim Richland, and then he beat he lost to Dean Malenko on Nitro on twelve nine ninety six. Wow. I know we've championed it before, but if you've not seen the also the post that post-Battle Royal run with the conspiracy victim stuff that Jericho did, go find it. You'll have a great time. And Jericho's first book claims that it was just him, Terry Taylor, and a cameraman just going and doing whatever Jericho thought about doing. And if that's the case, that is staggering. Um, That is just amazing with creativity. Yeah, I mean, so, that's that's impressive. So, who's next on our list? We're at like the bottom of the list now. Uh, you had Kidman next up on the list. Yeah, Kidman. Kidman was in a lot of good matches, but Kidman was also limited. I always liked Kidman though. 
I was always a fan. I liked him too. Um, he he was a good the... worker, not a great worker. He was good at rising to the level of his opponents. If he had someone, if he was working someone who's better than him, he was good at stepping up to match them. I thought he was. He he never quite. I never thought he was quite as interesting after the flock. Like him as like the grungy like heroin addict was a little more interesting. It was a it was a good gimmick, but it was ultimately limited because he was never going to win with it. Yeah. And so his post flock stuff um, was very good. He had a series of excellent matches. And from there, I think he went on into the Filthy Animals thing, which uh, of what was at WCW at the time, that was some of the better stuff that was happening. So he got a I can't be too upset. Rain out of that, I think. Before that, because Kidman and Ray had the tag titles at Spring Stampede 99, and they were having a Cruiserweight Championship match. They were tag partners, but they were also having a Cruiserweight title match with each other, and they also won the Cruiserweight tag belts at the last Nitro, I think. Oh, he won it with Conan, too. Oh, he did? Yeah. Okay. I don't. I didn't remember the Conan pairing. And he won, it, he won the WWE tag team titles with um, Paul London. Now that I don't remember. That all. was a good team. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe London taught him how to do the shooting star press right. Now remember he like hit the ropes in WWE on that. He he hit the ropes once. There was another one where he landed knees first on somebody's face. I don't remember who it was, but it looked like it hurt like a bitch. So. <laughs> He's only 48. Wow. I think he's been doing trainer work for a while, hasn't he? I don't think he's wrestled in a long time. I was looking it up. Yeah. Uh, I knew he had been... Let me rephrase. I thought he had been a trainer at the Performance Center for a while. He has not wrestled in 14 years. If he's been smart with his money, I guess he hasn't had to. Is there any indication of what the heck he's been doing? Uh, he's been he's he's been working with the WWE. Oh, okay. So he's okay. He got um he was one of those that got furloughed during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But by like the end of that year, so like at the end of like 2020, he um they brought him back. So uh, as far as I know, like he's still working for them. Okay. Um, I think he's like a a trainer or an agent, something like that. Well, good on him. Yeah, Good on him. So it, I remember him coming up. It, this is so weird that I remember this. This nugget's been tucked away in my brain for so long. The lead up to him being pulled into the flock, because I think Raven just beat him up and drug him away to take, make him part of the flock, was he had a match on Saturday night where he beat Alex Wright. And everyone was kind of like, wow, that's that's a big deal. And so they had a rematch on Nitro that I don't remember if Kidman won or lost. 
And then they had him up against Raven, and Raven just cleaned his plow and drug him out. And the next time we saw him, he was doing his his heroin addict gimmick. But it was interesting that they gave him a small push to lead him into that, too. Everybody joining Raven's flock seemed to get some sort of lead-in into it. It wasn't just they're suddenly in the flock. I remember Scotty Riggs. They tried to recruit him for a while and then jacked him up before they got him. Well, I remember Mortis tried to join and they... (laughs) Just beat the crap out of him. Yeah. But I like Kidman. His, His shooting star press was... It was the first one I had seen, so I didn't know what I was comparing it up against. You didn't know he looked like a dead elk getting shot out of a catapult. (laughs) Let's be fair. Elk are a lot bigger. They wouldn't be even that graceful. But and then the you can't powerbomb Kidman spot always bugged me because it's like psychosis doesn't throw a powerbomb. Why is he trying to do this so that Kidman can do a face buster? That's the only reason. Yeah. But the next one on your list is one I feel like people forget about a lot as being a real sh- bright spot for uh, the cruiserweight division at the, towards the end of Nitro, and that's Shane Helms. Sugar Shane. Sugar Helms. Shane. He kind of yeah. led a revitalization of the division. He did. He did, yep. Because he started off uh, with like three count, the whole like boy band gimmick. Who Tank Abbott is a they, huge fan of. <laughs> yes. Uh, when they broke away from that, though, they did. Uh, Shane Helms got like a singles push, and I, he was awesome. He was doing like the vertebraker as like the finish, which yep. seemed like at that point like you had never seen that that particular move before, and it looked just devastating. Yeah. Well, and you also had. They made a big deal out of Sugar Shane Helms because there were names for his moves. When he threw a super kick, it wasn't a super kick. It was a sugar smack. Well, he, had and like, his, he had custom music that was like. And he had a custom entrance where the Nitro Girls were the sugar babies as part of it. Nobody else got that, but he did. The only person I, I think that had like Nitro Girls involved in their entrance was DDP because it was Kimberly. Yeah. So you know, that was a big deal. And then he got what did they what what stupid name did they was he Lance Helms at first in WWE? He was Hurricane Helms and then Gregory Helms. Oh, he's Gregory Helms. That's right. Yeah. Um, because you know they can't have two people with the same name, and then they. Gave him the hurricane gimmick, which I thought was really good, um, and he did a good job with. And then you know they continually buried him. Yeah, he had that fantastic pro. I remember the promo that started the hurricane thing, because he just started talking about Green Lantern comics, and he just kept talking until they went to commercial. <laughs> so, yeah. Shane Helms is great. I wonder how he and, gets away with using the the hurricane gimmick on the indies and stuff. I bet you he caught them on the right day at the right time, and they 
they signed the rights to him because they didn't think there'd be anything in it for him. He even appeared on AEW as the Hurricane, didn't he? Once, hey? I think. I think yeah. he he sh- he showed up in one of the uh, the battle royals. I think. No, it was well, um, the 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 ultimate deletion. Gangrel was like holding him when he showed up. Really? I think that's who he had. I don't know. Huh? And now I gotta look. I got I now you said that and I gotta find find that now because I'm curious. I remember seeing him because the there would have been a connection to AEW during Elite Deletions under both the Hurricane and Gregory Helms persona supporting Matt Hardy against Sammy Guevara. So there it is. Hmm. I thought so. And Gangrel just made another appearance with them, too. He did. <laughs> with the Bucks. <laughs> yes. As the new the new brood. Yeah. The new brood. <laughs> yes. How many people remember that the Hardys were the new brood? And yet, there they are. I thought it was, like, hilarious. I, I, yeah. I, it, people have been pushing uh, Gangrel to be the one who's, t- like, the next legend. You know, to get or a nostalgic worker to actually get like a like a resurgence, and I'm I'm all for it because, from what I understand, uh, from like people who've worked in the industry, like he's like a nice guy and very like uh, I guess generous with the people that he he's trained or he works with. That he's like a, he's he's good. Like he puts people over. He has no problem with it. He's a like a very respectable veteran. Well, I remember mm-hmm. David Vixen's so. fan had a really good tweet about how he is like the perfect like romanticized idea of a wrestling veteran because he puts people over and he goes along with stuff he's open-minded you know yeah he got orange juice in the blood because when he worked with orange cassidy (laughs) someone actually asked him about that and they asked him like why didn't he's like well like his gimmick really doesn't work with my gimmick so i figured why not just be stupid with it and play into it. How but many I like old, that. Yeah. He, how many old timers do this? You're absolutely right. Oh man, it's so That's good it's company. so weird though if you watch like late '80s um, JCP slash WCW and seeing him do job duty on like, I because I know there's a there's like a world championship wrestling where he jobs to Abdullah the Butcher. What name was he under at the Just time? Just David Heath. If you see David oh, okay. Heath pop up on a late 80s show, it's him, and it's obviously him. Okay. He looks, yeah, pe- he's looked pretty much the same the whole time. <laughs> people have uh, people have noted, um, and he's not, let me see how old he is. Okay, he's 53. It's like that, in the grand scheme of things, like that's not that old. Mm-mm. But he... He technically has – it's like Dustin Rhodes. Uh, he's technically wrestled in like five different decades. Because mm-hmm. the 80s, 90s, the aughts, uh, 2010s, and now uh, you know, the 2020s. Yeah. Um, one other thing I wanted to throw just back on, on Shane Helms real quick is something that seems interesting about Helms is – he is one of those guys that 
seems to be on good terms with everybody in the industry. There does not seem to be anybody that hates Shane Helms, and he doesn't seem to really hate anybody. Which is interesting because that's just not something you know you'd expect a lot. You expect usually there's there's at least somebody when you're like yeah screw that guy, but not really with Shane Helms. I watched his U shoot. And he went out of his way not to be, uh, not to be negative about anybody. Or if he said I had a problem with him, then we've worked it out since, which is interesting. Uh, you know, you've got to be a, a really nice guy to get away with that. Wow, AEW's made two new brood references. <laughs> What was the other one? During the the ultimate delete, the elite deletion, that mm-hmm. was like his whole thing for like all that stuff he says to Hardy is about his disloyalty during the New Brood era. Huh. Interesting. I don't think I. Uh, well, I didn't see the elite deletion, so I can't really speak that to it. That one's hilarious because, I mean, it gets memed. Of them chasing Sammy Guevara in the um, in the golf cart, mm-hmm. but there is literally a scene where Sammy Guevara is running through this field and Matt Hardy's chasing him with this like one of those things that shoots fireworks, and he's just chasing him, shooting fireworks at him, and I think he shoots him in the ass with a firework eventually. <laughs> okay. And then, and then Sammy Guevara falls in a mud puddle. I think Jim yeah. Cardette was unamused. He's like, he's like, oh, Sammy, get up, or some old man will say this is a mud show. <laughs> and then, like, gives him the twist of fate onto the ground. The, um... Oh, gosh, I really should go back and find that. I have not watched those. WWE only did one, and it sucked. Because they, they made it look too good. Yeah, the, the, the deletion videos need to look just a little bit like crap yeah for them to really fit but um you know i need to get i need to go back and find those because that's that's a lot of fun they're hilarious in their badness and like his universe is like really fleshed out too see when you were talking about him running with roman candles i immediately remembered him saying look a dilapidated boat and (laughs) diving underneath it it's like, daggone it, Matt. You just dropped the word dilapidated in a wrestling show appropriately. You're killing me, man. Oh, and like when, um, which one was that? Was that the original one where like they're doing the build up and he's on the lawnmower and he's doing like the hardy hand thing, like in his front yard, like on a riding mower, like just shit like that is hilarious about those. Or, um, yeah. oh just the, the first one's hilarious like the impact one okay that's still the uh, best one was that the one where he challenged jeff to come to yeah basically across the property to his house and yeah, the ring they, was set up next to the lake yep okay that's the one i was the, thinking the of. second one was with decay i think okay and was there a third one in impact there might have just been two i don't know i one of the things that it's just a running joke, but in, in those uh, ultimate deletions or however like they're they're presented, but 
every time like they have like that uh like the lake <laughs> of reincarnation yeah where people who get docked in the lake like come back as an old gimmick <laughs> it's like hilarious yes that's that is an amazing running gag um, it wasn't like when they did the stadium stampede, like they they drowned Hardy in like a pool, and he came back as like a different version as, of Matt Hardy. Yeah, like Hardy Matt points. Hardy version one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I really want to watch Stadium Stampede again. It's I only saw it the first time. Ah, uh, I'm sure it gave someone like Jim Cornette like a cornea. And yeah, the best part though is like, and it shows like kind of like I think how you don't need to overthink wrestling is he got senior benjamin over like in right. multiple promotions just his gardener mm-hmm. who isn't isn't he played by his father-in-law i think so <laughs> all right and then um, chavo is our final Chavito. still one of my favorite moments is norman smiley uh throwing pepe <laughs> into a wood chipper <laughs> come on pepe let's go i did like it was a funny one where um oh what, what paper was that great it might have been great american bash or um road wild where he was double scheduled he had to wrestle stevie ray and then he got a shot at eddie after that and so he goes out and he goes to shake stevie ray's hand and he taps out immediately, so he's like a hundred percent for Eddie. Right. That's that's great. I love that so much. And you know, whenever they pitched that Stevie Ray, Stevie Ray started laughing. Yeah. He's like, "That's great." Another thing I remember from Chavo was they went through that whole thing where Eddie was trying to force Chavo to turn heel, and Chavo didn't want to do it and didn't want to do it. And I don't remember what happened exactly. But Chavo snapped. This was before he started carrying Pepe around. But he snapped, and he's Eddie's at ringside with him, and Chavo is happy, but he's healing it up, and he's got the guy draped over the center rope, and he leans down, and he grabs the guy, and he throws the throws the leg over the guy's back, and he starts choking him on the rope, and he leans out, and he goes, "Look, Uncle Eddie, I'm cheating to win," and yeah. Eddie's just like, "Oh God." Just the sheer joy on his face when he did that line. And, like, Eddie's, like, really taking it back. Like, oh, my God, you, like, went too far with this. <laughs> dial it back. Dial it back. <laughs> that is burned into my memory because it was amazing. Yeah. Oh, man. And uh, another thing I got to give Travel credit for, because for a long time in WCW, I think his finish was a Tornado DDT. Yeah. He had a damn good tornado ddt i think the only one that's ever been close to as good has been jerry lens it seemed like for a while there everybody tried using it and then suddenly everybody stopped all at the same time it looks like shit most of the time and i think it's hard (laughs) to do Uh, jungle boy has one that looks pretty good but he doesn't come out of the corner with it but uh, and I think I think people like that one where you kind of like do the, the you kick you kind of like walk up the turnbuckle and like flip them or like go into like a bulldog. I think there's just some variations that are easier to do that people have favored. Oh, like the uh, the Dudley dog or yeah. the acid drop, depending on yeah what era we're in. Yeah. 
I I would I myself would have preferred doing the the tornado DDT just because I hated landing on my tailbone when uh, I would do spots. I hated that, and it, it always hurt, so I wouldn't do it. But uh, how do you not do that on a leg drop? Do you kind of hit your hip? Yeah, it, what I did is I would I would land. If I was dropping my right leg, I would kind of roll so that I was landing on my left hip. But typically, I didn't drop leg drops. I dropped uh, knees more often. Okay. Or, um, like, I call it an Austin-style elbow, like a Steve Austin-style elbow, where I'd, I'd cock my arm up in front of me and then drop forward with it instead of, you know, your typical elbow drop. Because I don't know why. It just didn't feel appropriate to drop an elbow that way. You Hard know, to put a finger on. Um, Eddie has a move that needs to come back. That one where he kind of like twist his, like, the heel of his foot in someone's face. Oh, that face twist yeah. thing? I was always impressed by that because it didn't look like he lifted his foot up when he did it. So it it seriously looked like you'd be getting the cro- the equivalent of a carpet burn every time he did it, you know? Yeah. So that is my top ten list. I, I think that's pretty much the... I think that's like the guys you could not really argue with. I think some people might take Jericho off, but he was primarily a cruiserweight in WCW. He had a really good run with the TV title stuff, but that was because he did so well with the cruiserweight stuff. Yep. So, um, Matt, do you have any, any final thoughts on this one? Uh, no, I actually think that this, uh, this 10 list is actually pretty good. Like I, I would agree. It's like, it's, there might be some that people would argue with, but I don't think it's like, you can't really go too, too wrong with this. No. Mm -hmm. And I think like, I think the tiering works. Like you have Ray, Eddie and psychosis at the top because they're clearly the best. Then you have your next tier, which is Dean and, and, um, Ultimo. And then you have Hoovy kind of in his own space. And then you kind of have, the um and i'm going on work right here Mm -hmm. and then you have kind of the guys that were good but they weren't in like that elite tier right there are some crew there were some luchadors that i always kind of wanted to see more out of but never did like i never saw much out of super Kolo. Some of those or... guys, like, I've seen better stuff out of in Lucha. Like, I've mm-hmm. seen El Dande have good matches when he was younger, but I'm not using their <laughs> their Lucha. And I mean, like, if you're talking, like, if you're talking guys that have had, like, insane stuff and is, like, really good, like, L.A. Park would be. Right. Like, way up there in, like, WCW workers. By the way, guys, I wanted to tell you I stumbled across a super porky reference in the wild. Oh, really? Yes. Super porque. I was listening to Observer Radio. Alvarez and Semper Vivi were talking about the uh, hair match that Jericho was going to have. I don't remember who it was going to be with. Who's he having the hair match with? Anyway, it doesn't matter. 
Alvarez is like, I wouldn't be surprised if Jericho lost this. You know, he likes changing up his look. He likes changing stuff out. I thought that he was doing it to do it, have a hair versus hair match because everybody was bagging on him for having a bald spot during the uh, Anarchy in the Arena match. But he said, yeah, people do that all the time. Every summer, Super Porky would have a hair versus hair match that he would lose and get his head shaved. Every summer for 40 years. <laughs> and I just started laughing because I didn't. I never thought of that. Now, is his Super Porky's real name is Plata de Brazo, right? Because there was like a family that was like the Brazos. Because I think he had like a brother too. Well, not real name, but yeah. No, his was... his like real like his his like real ring name and like Super Porky was kind of his. His like gimmick. Yeah, let me look that up. Yeah. Brazo de Plata. Brazo de Plata. Yeah, you're. I just in Spanish. It's a lot of. Sorry, like, I was being an American pig dog and <laughs> did it backwards like English people do. Oh yeah, his brother was Brazo de Oro. Yeah. What if he Brazo de Plata, which is literally like uh, I think silver arm. I need to look at a picture of Brazo de Oro to see if he's as fat as a fuck as his brother was. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Super Porky, like he, we lost him like last year. I know. Um, yeah, he's about as fat. No, he's, he's like, oh, there's three of them. The crazy thing to me, the crazy thing to me, is that his son is arguably like the biggest luchador in in lucha libre right now, Psycho Clown. I know. That's like it's so it's so bizarre to me. Yeah, but you don't know it's though. If, I bet if we I bet if we I bet if we could find like a lot of eighties lucha of, of Super Porky, I bet he was in some bloodbath. Oh, I think he was. Yeah. I, I just haven't I haven't watched I certainly had not watched like old school lucha. I have a I have a I have a comp that um Good Helmet sent me of eighties lucha. I need to actually watch that. Oh, there's a name I haven't heard in a long time. Oh man, yeah. he um he's the hookup if you want like like gigantic comps stuff. <laughs> okay. I think he has some eighty disc Jerry Lawler comp. Wow. So yeah. But yeah, I have that I need to watch it, I just haven't got around to it and with the move I don't actually know where it is. So I gotta find those. He, um, Good Helmet does a podcast, uh, called Way of the Blade. Okay. Um, which actually puts out stuff pretty regularly. So, I think it's like him. It's not, it's not Phil Schneider. It's like, I think it's, well, oh, wait, wait, I, I have to do correct myself it actually is phil schneider doing the that way of the blade it's yeah, not it is. good good helmet's probably been on it i've uh i was confusing those uh dvdvr boys yeah they don't sound anything alike yeah now he's got some interesting guests on there yeah tony khan old school uh death Valley driver video review oh yeah he's, wow. uh, he's um that's his word no, Tony Khan, it's been confirmed, was the originator of the <laughs> yes. wrestling sleaze thread, which is like the yeah. most infamous 
message board thread of all time for yes, wrestling. wrestling message board. Yeah, yeah, that was just it. It still ripples to today. My favorite is when they had um, Raven going through those. Raven was with Honky Tonk, wasn't he? Yeah, and like the 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 Jimmy Valiant um, glass bottom boat came up, and he's like, he's like, he's like, now I could see this happening, but I couldn't see Ricky Morton leaving or Robert Gibson <laughs> leaving. <laughs> oh god! That thread is the originator of the infamous. Hacksaw Jim Duggan dildo blender. <laughs> oh, that's my favorite. Sorry. <laughs> Which to me always makes me laugh because if you I, – I, I maintain this and I talk about this with friends. It's like Hacksaw Jim Duggan on social media is just a delight to follow because everything is so wholesome. He just talks about how like he loves his wife and he loves his family and everything is like how much he enjoys meeting with the fans. It's like incredibly wholesome. So this idea – idea that way back in the 80s he was doing just just a botch with people well, I mean, like, that's, I how, wanna... that's how he got fired from wwe the first time is he got caught smoking weed in a car with the iron sheik i, I can't believe that i can't believe smoking, smoking the gimmick brother i can't believe that uh i can't believe iron sheik's still alive actually it's really surprising isn't it because he's been in bad shape for a while hasn't he I think so. Yeah. I need to watch the documentary. He has a really interesting life story because he he essentially fled here because of like the Shaw falling, didn't he? Mm, I th- it was around that time period. Would it? Oh no, I gotta check this. Um, chic. I know he was on the Olympic team. When was his? Born in 42. Competed for Iran in the 68 Summer Olympics in Mexico City. And then moved to the U.S. to be a coach in the 70s. So I'm going to guess that his... uh, don't know when the Shah fell. That would be like in Carter's years. Shah Baron. Okay, that is way the heck down there. Uh, it was during Carter because that was like the start of our... Um, yeah, deposed in 79. Yeah, because that was the start of our many and numerous fuck-ups among many administrations in the Middle East. That's where we started that wonderful tradition. Yeah. I remember hearing the story, and I don't know if it's true or not, but I remember hearing the story that they had the uh, the hostages, the U.S. hostages being held. And one of the captors came in and looked at him and said, someone named Ronald Reagan has just won your presidency. What do you think of that? And the guy didn't say a word, but he made eye contact with his captor, held his hand up in the air, and then slowly lowered it to the ground while he went. (laughs) And if that's true, I got to admire the balls on the guy for doing that. 
doing that. But at that point, you got to figure they've been in there so long and they hate it so much that they just they just can't. I don't know. I think if I think if I was anymore. being held hostage as long as they had been, like death would start not being so scary by that yeah. point. I know some of them tried to commit suicide, but that's got, that had to, that had to have just been just god fucking awful. Yeah. Um, that's kind of what I was thinking of. So, but that is that is our Nitro Air Cruiserweight listing. Yep. I think that about does it for us, doesn't it, guys? Yep. Next week mm-hmm. we well no yes sorry this is a little screwed up because we're double recording but we're recording next week because of schedules. So the episode after this should be us reviewing the Predator with our friend from Open Airlock Policy, Tim. Mm-hmm. Um, some call me. Tim? Tim? <laughs> so, um, we will be reviewing the original Predator, so if you want to watch that, um, we might talk about two because Tim likes that movie, and I don't know what I think about Predator 2. I have not seen Predator 2. I've he, seen first Predator. He, really? He is... Yeah. He likes it because it's a Predator in an urban setting. Uh-huh. I That's what I liked about it, but I think that, uh the main hero being Danny Glover was wildly miscast. Yeah. Danny Glover's not like a leading hero guy. He's not an action hero. No, um, no. He's like supposed to be like, um, like lethal weapon. He's supposed to be like the nerdy sidekick. That's horrified at like Mel Gibson's numerous and many like antisocial behaviors during the course of that movie. I think there is also he he had a place as um, Detective Tap in Saw, just like stretched to the limit, desperately trying to figure it out, but kind of at the end of his rope. But I don't think that's what you got in Predator Two. No, you need Ar- you need guys like Arnold. Yeah, yeah, someone that you would buy as a credible threat to a Predator. Now I will right? say. Um underrated best part of the first movie and we'll get into it next week is carl weathers character in that yeah yeah mm-hmm. i can't believe that guy didn't get more work in hollywood because he really was great as apollo and he was great in predator i need to go back and watch it again it's been so long i'm excited to watch it because i think it's gonna be it's gonna be great yeah all right guys well i'm i'm sorry we're just kind of at the end and we're tired i'm since you said carl weathers i'm just flashing back to like arrested development and it's like whoa 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 so put any meat on that bone you take this home throw it in a pot add some broth potato babe you got a stew going on he had carl weathers has like like underrated comedic timing he was, he was really funny really and happy Gilmore too. He's a good actor. Like his um like Apollo Creed is like a really like his just absolute frustration in in Rocky too that he didn't put him away and like the fact that like it like just Apollo is such a complex character within the bounds of that movie. I so I've talked. I think I think I talked about this like on the show, but I talked about it certainly like with you guys off air. Like the Rocky Four recut, the director's cut. Mm-hmm. Like I thought added so much more dimension to his character because if you watch like the the theatrical cut, you're kind of like, well, why does he care so much about fighting like Ivan Drago? It's like, 
but in the in the director's cut it kind of adds this whole other level where it's like he's he's very like patriotic so he's like he's fighting for america but it's also like he there's this whole like thing where it's like he's no longer the champ so he feels like he the sport is passing him by like he's not as adequate as he was so he feels like this is like his his chance to show that he still has it and that's like his mentality going into it and of course like the end result is that the guy beats him to death Oh shit! But I it, forgot he was Chubbs Peterson and Happy Gilmore. Yeah, that's yes. what I was just saying. Happy Gilmore, man, that was, it was really funny. Yes. It's like, no, damn Gator bit my hand off, but I got one of his eyes. <laughs> He's fantastic. And oh, I love man. in Arrested Development how he is only referred to by his whole name the entire yes. time. Yes. No one ever calls him Carl or Mister Weathers. It's always mm. Carl Weathers. Yeah. Uh, and, and in recent times, like he actually was in seven episodes of The Mandalorian, uh, and his character is good. It's fun. Oh, that is right. Yeah. Oh man, is, um, he's seventy-four years old. I'm like, I'm stunned. Where can I um find that um free cut of of um Rocky Four? I've seen the fight. The fight is better in the recut. Where? Yeah. Uh, I think we rented it on like Amazon Prime. I watched it's the, on it's on one of the streaming services. I watched the I watched the fight recut and I thought it was better. Oh, the director's cut of Rocky Four, in my opinion, is way better. It adds like so much more dimension to the film and the motivations of certain characters like Carl Weathers, Apollo Creed, and uh, Ivan Drago makes a lot more sense. Like, this is, I mean, the theatrical cut came out, like, the height of, like, you know, the Cold War, us versus Russia. Yeah. So it's all, it's, like, kind of, it's slightly, like, jingoistic. But in, well, this, re- yeah. in this recut, they they essentially show that, like, Ivan Drago is kind of in this for himself, like, his own arrogance. Like, he wants to be presented as the best, and he kind of could, he kind of could give a damn about, you know, like, Russia and Russia, Russian dominance. Just like about he's more personal of, glory. Yes, about personal glory. But that added so much more dimension to his character. And I thought that really actually like worked well. I think mean, it's he's still essentially like a villain, but it's like he's he's doing it for like very narcissistic reasons. But that's in a way that actually makes him a more sympathetic character. Because even though being a narcissist is not good, it's still more positive than just being like, I am a communist who hates freedom. So I'm fighting against America. It's like okay, like that's you're you're like almost like a stereotypical villain. Mm-hmm. But him doing it like for I'm doing this for personal glory. It's like I actually like relate more to you. You're kind of a dick still, but I kind of understand that. Like it's it's so much more compelling. Like the whole yeah. movie is like compelling in the director's cut. Like I highly recommend the director's cut if you haven't seen it. Sure. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Well, guys, we want everybody out there. Thank you for tuning in for this episode. Be on the lookout. We've got the uh, Predator review coming up, and we've got a uh, request in the chamber we'll be getting to real soon. So, to everybody out there, this is Shad with Matt and Brad. We've been in three corners. You're in the fourth, and we'll catch you next time. <laughs>